The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the beginning was chaos, and there was always chaos when my parents were getting five children ready for church. And this was a particularly chaotic event because it was a day of a baptism. So we had extended family. And I remember the... uh, my parents kind of switching off the breakfast roll and pushing people out of bed and pushing people into the bathroom and my sister and I fighting over the bathroom. It was always a chaotic morning. And this morning was particularly chaotic. I remember, well, I don't remember, but I was, this was about 32 years ago, almost. And early in that morning, there was a large boom outside. And my parents thought it might have been, you know, a jet flying overhead or something. They weren't sure what it was. Anyways, we went to church for my baptism. And uh, as the service was going on, the skies were darkening above us. And it seemed to be getting dark. It was morning. And the baptism went on. And when we walked out of the church as a family, the skies were covered in these dark clouds of ash. (laughs) Mount St. Helens had erupted that same morning as my baptism. And my parents were a little worried when they saw the dark clouds. They thought, what have we done? Did we baptize the Antichrist? Are we doing something terribly wrong? And that's yet to be determined, you know. (laughs) In the scripture today, we hear about a God whose voice creates, a voice that orders chaos. In the psalm, we hear about a voice that thunders. And like Mount St. Helens, we don't have it in the the song we sang, but in this psalm, it talks about trees being stripped bare by the voice of God. And if anyone's ever been to Mount St. Helens, you'll see just these toothpicks of trees all over the landscape. There's power in creation. 
power in God's voice. And it's this kind of power that people during Jesus' time were looking for in a Messiah. In Scripture, when we look back, we have our suffering servant readings from Isaiah that we hear in Christmas season about this uh, person being suffering and, and going through these trials and temptations. But those weren't what the predictions of what a Messiah was supposed to be. A Messiah was supposed to be all-powerful, kingly, returning in glory. So in the book of Mark, this is the year of Mark, we constantly hear people trying to figure out and look for this Messiah in Jesus. They're looking for a return of someone powerful, someone who will bring power and, and change the order of things. They want the heavens to be torn open. In Isaiah 64, he says, Oh, that the heavens would be torn open and that you would come down and the mountains would quake in your presence and enemies would fear your name and the nations would tremble. That's the Messiah people are looking for. But that's not the kind of power we discover in Jesus. We're lucky as the outsiders in this scripture because Mark fills us in on who this guy is from the very beginning. (laughs) They don't get it throughout the whole book until the very end. Even this dove descending from heaven is almost an in-your-face image of a bird in the Roman army It was the eagle of power, the eagle that was a a sign of the adopted power, of the imperial power. It was on the banners. It was a way of, this was the bird that signified the greatness of this empire, of this emperor. And even in these old writings, you hear about the dove being compared to an eagle, the weak dove, which is also basically a pigeon, A dove was nothing. It was weak. They were cheap. They were used for sacrifice. Later in the day on my baptism, uh, ash was all over the ground, and my parents were outside collecting it. You know, it wasn't a lot. This was in eastern Washington, but it was a little farther away than other cities. And I've always thought of ash as a perfect symbol for remembering baptism. And in fact, we forget that Ash Wednesday really is a baptismal festival. Lent was the time when people were trained. It was the the time of training to be baptized at the Easter Vigil. And Ash Wednesday kicked off this season of learning, of preparation, of leaning into this pilgrimage journey. There's something about death in baptism that we often forget. And Luther was very strong urging that we return to this, the the messiness of death with our baptism. He wanted to return to baptism by submersion and dipping a baby entirely (laughs) in water three times. And I can imagine, if we did that now, parents would not be so happy (laughs) in our church. What are you doing to my baby, (laughs) putting it in the water like that? 
But there's a reason for that, because the language is not a light little sprinkling of water. It's not a simple washing. It's a heavy thing. Death is destroyed in baptism. When we get that baptism certificate, it's like a death certificate and a birth certificate all in one sheet of paper. Because what we are celebrating is the fact that our mortal lives, our, our ails, our suffering is nothing in God, but that we are given new life. We, are, we die and we rise again. So large amounts of water in the early church were very common. In fact, the fonts, if you can call them fonts, they were more like little pools, were shaped like tombs and wombs to signify this birth and this death. They were cross-shaped. We always tend to think of Baptism as a kind of like getting your get-out-of-jail-free card when you're playing Monopoly. We've lightened it to something simple, and that is absolutely not what it is. In fact, that is one of the things that lends baptism to being misconstrued. It becomes a way of excluding people by the church often. We know that this baptism is not a way to save ourselves. We know that in baptism, we don't do anything, but God is doing everything. That we can't do anything to earn our baptism. In confirmation, I gave a a multiple choice quiz. And one of the questions was, I'm looking at my confirmands over here. One of the questions was, how often do we earn God's grace? A, 100% of the time, B, 50%, C, 0%. And the answer, of course, is 0% of the time, we never earn that grace. And that's why in our church we practice infant baptism. We don't believe that that child has all of a sudden earned some right to be baptized, except by being a child of God. And the problem with the way we've created a barrier of baptism, that we've made it into something that says some people are baptized, some aren't, these people are within the fold, that baptism is something that makes me saved and not you, is that it loses the universality of this message. We can have our baptism of repentance. Surely we need such a thing. We need to confess our sins daily. But did Jesus need that? Was Jesus sinful? That's why this baptism of Jesus has baffled some people. What what is he doing getting baptized? What's the point? Jesus stands in this place as a representative for us. As that perfect, sinless human being that we cannot be because this is the Son of God. And we can rest assured 
moving into our lives that this perfect person took on our debts and died on the cross. Mark is an unusual gospel because it begins with a baptism. We don't have all that kings and shepherds and birth stuff. And it has two endings in our Bibles. The ending that the original ending is, ends right at the crucifixion, ends with the death of Jesus. We don't have the resurrection there. You know, later on, it's believed that the resurrection was kind of added on there because they're like, we can't end it here. But rethinking of baptism into this season of the season of Lent and thinking of it as this, this way of viewing our own death already done away with, and our new birth gives us a new sense of what the real power in baptism is. We know that the Messiah that we were, we would still be looking for this Messiah to return in power. We want this. We want everyone to be forced to be Christians in the world. We want a world where everyone gets together and it's been, everyone is brought together into one people. But we know that the figure we have, the God we know, is the one that goes to the cross. In Mark, it says the heavens were torn open. And in the other Gospels, it says the heavens were opened. And I particularly like this because when you tear something, you can't just close it back up again. The world was changed forever in this event. There's only one other point where this tearing occurs in Mark, and that's after the centurion, when Jesus dies on the cross, the centurion says, behold, this is the Son of God, surely. I always hear John Wayne saying it from um, the greatest story ever told. He's just a shadow. Surely this is the Son of God, he says. The the curtain was ripped, and it was the curtain that had the stars and the heavens on it. The heavens were opened. The world has been changed. And Jesus was baptized, and the Spirit brought upon him, and that voice that can move, shake mountains, cause earthquakes, strip trees bare, that voice shows its power by saying, this is my son, my beloved, of whom I'm well pleased. The voice directs us to this person. That is what power is, because this person shows us what we think of as a powerless life. I remember, I think near the end of my chaplaincy, I had to do a, a middle-of-the-night ba- emergency baptism. And uh, it was in the newborn ICU unit. And this baby was maybe five months old, very small. And uh, encased in the tube, protected from the environments, and was going fast. And there was quite a big family gathered around. And they were in terrible grief over this. And I felt kind of silly, like, is baptism really something you just kind of, some magic trick you do at the last minute to, 
you know, make something saved, a baby saved? Is it just, you know, a flip of a switch like that? And I couldn't really be in contact with the baby, so I had water, but I didn't know what to do with it. It was a, a very awkward moment for a man, you know, an awkward moment for anyone to do that. But I did what I could. I conjured up the language of deliverance through the floods. I conjured up water language. I baptized this child. And then I realized what the power is, this eternal, real power, not the power that just conquers a world, was the feeling of grace in that room. The family just was relieved to know that whatever grief, whatever death was in their hands was not ultimately in their hands. So thinking of the story today and thinking ahead in this epiphany season, the season of manifestation, the season of God coming to us, revealing himself to us, appointing to the source of power. I was thinking this morning of something that I've never done. But when we cross ourselves, we're remembering our baptism. When we are marked with the sign of the cross, we're remembering the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Luther would wake up every day and cross himself as a sign of remembering his baptism because we believe that every day we need to die anew to this world and be reborn in Christ. So if you feel up to it, I challenge you just one week. Wake up in the morning, and before you think of anything, breakfast, work, whatever, how late you are, make the sign of the cross. Think of that old self, and think of what new self in Christ you have. Think of that gift of grace that is in you and was given freely to you. Amen.